Welcome to the Pages to Pictures podcast, the show where we discuss the art of adaptation from one storytelling medium into another. Each episode revolves around a single film based on pre-existing stories or franchises and asks three questions specific to the adaptation. Your hosts are James Janowski, giant Cincinnati Reds fan, screenwriter, and screenwriting instructor at the School of Visual Arts in New York City and Screen Experience at ScreenExperience.com. Skid Marr, a founding member of the Glass Cannon Network, podcaster extraordinaire, and a guy who gets paid to play role-playing games. And Andy Schmidt, former Marvel Comics editor, writer of comics, graphic novels, video games, children's books, former director of intellectual property and development at Hasbro, and founder of the online comic book school, Comics Experience. Now get ready for the nerdiest podcast in history, and welcome to Pages to Pictures. Hey everybody, welcome to the Pages to Pictures podcast. I'm Andy Schmidt here with uh, co-hosts, uh, screenwriter and screenwriting instructor James Janowski. James, how you doing? Hello everyone. And I'm also here with Skid Mar, king of all nerds and a member of the Glass Cannon uh, network or Glass Cannon Podcast Network, which is it, Skid? Oh, well, sorry. I just heard my name. What's happening? Uh, it's the uh, Glass Cannon Glass Cannon Network. Glass Cannon Network. But check out yeah. the Glass Cannon Podcast. And I know you're working on on your new podcast. So uh, Yes, our new, I've, whenever this releases, uh, our newest uh, Starfinder-based podcast is launching on, I believe, Wednesday, the 25th of April. That wow. is awesome. I am looking forward to it. Uh, we are uh, too. Thank you. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, I work in, in stuff. I work on pop culture stuff, but, uh, so, uh, what, this is what we do. This is what we do. We get together. We, we look at, at, uh, movies that are, that are sourced from other material and adapted. And, uh, and then we talk about them. So, uh, there is this movie coming out this week, uh, that, uh, is getting some play seems Avengers, uh, Infinity War. And so we figured, plucky, plucky little indie flick. Yeah. I mean, we're hoping, <laughs> we're hoping for this little studio putting it out that they will find some modicum of success with it. Some kind uh, of an audience. I hope maybe find, find an audience. So this is, uh, I should have done, I should have done the research and written this down. I believe it's the 19th Marvel cinematic universe movie. <sighs> um, it's all been building to this, uh, as the hype goes. And to a certain degree, it does seem that that is the case because we've had Thanos, uh, searching for the Infinity Stones, um, uh, going back, uh, going back pretty far. In fact, the Infinity Stones were first introduced, uh, before Thanos was introduced. Um, and so, uh, so that's interesting. So we're going to do these, uh, that's, that's Wyatt. He's our other co-host. Um, <laughs> I was explaining that they might hear snoring. I didn't know he'd be bark. Hey, dude. <laughs> he has opinions. Don't try to silence his opinions. All right. Um, so uh, he he's not happy about the Marvel state of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's why he's barking. Um, no. Uh, so we're going to talk about we, we, we want to do this Road to Infinity War thing. So we're breaking it up over to two episodes. And what we discussed was different approaches to take to talk about it because this isn't a straight adaptation obviously so what we hit on were basically two things we should talk some about the original uh 
quest for the Infinity Stones from the Marvel comics, which which played with Thanos some. So we'll talk about that some. But then what we really hit on was the characters. What are the the who are the major characters within the cinematic universe, and also the the filmmakers. So Avengers: Infinity War, uh, directed by the Russo brothers um, and written by the screenwriting pair that also wrote uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier and Captain America: Civil War, which seems like um, which seems like the right thing to do. So this this screenwriting directing team wrote and directed Winter Soldier and Civil War and now this. And so that seemed like the right uh the right tack to take. Am I right, guys? That's what we decided. Yes. Um so like always, we've got questions. We have more than three this time, so we're just gonna dive in and and get rolling. We're gonna start with the Winter Soldier for part one of the Road to Avengers Infinity War. So question number one, and most of these questions were from James. James, thanks. Uh, in Ed Brubaker's 2004 to 2006 Captain America Winter Soldier comic book story, the antagonist is Russian. In the 2014 Captain America the Winter Soldier film, the antagonist is American. Why do you think the change was made for the film, and was it justified or effective? And or effective? Skid, do you want to you jump in on that? So when we're talking about the antagonist in the film, we're talking about the Robert Redford role, right? Yes. Yeah. That's okay. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, well, I, I think we were talking about it before. I, th I think that possibly one reason might've been just the consideration for international audiences. Um, and the, I just, I remember before even the original Captain America came out, that there was this concern that, you know, because international audiences are is more important today than they've ever been. And there was concern that, especially during you know, the time period that it came out, that the audiences around the world would react poorly to this, what the people thought was like this icon of, a, you know, American imperialism or whatever. So they, you know, they made some like slight subtle changes to, uh, you know, this, this, the story, the way they approached it in order to accommodate that. So I wonder if that's still part of their thinking, uh, like pitting them against another American was a way of like saying, this isn't like a, you know, an East versus West, the way that it was kind of originally conceived. Um, it's, it's something else. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? You know, um, for me, the, you know, here's a character when you look at Captain America from the comic books, he, they woke him up in the 60s, so he was able to see the civil rights movement, Vietnam, Watergate. And so he had all of this, you know, uh, not trusting or, or questioning uh, the American government. But in this iteration, in the film iteration, he doesn't show up. He shows up after that, and he's trying to get caught up on all of that material and all, all that history. And uh, for me, I feel as though it was, you know, when you do an adaptation, you're going to take different material and you're going to try to consolidate it. And I really think they were trying to hone in and just get down to uh, making sure this is, you know, Captain America, who is going to have this arc of going from being maybe considered just a, a flag, a shield to the end of civil war, where the last image you see is him giving up the shield. And so I, I feel as though it was a strategic story um, decision. So that way he had this, questioning about the government that led into civil war and then into the, uh, uh, you know, and then I think in infinity war, I think I've seen stuff around that. He's now nomad, which was also something in the comics where he kind of mm -hmm. just gave up being this propaganda tool. 
Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I, I I don't disagree with either of you at all, and 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 definitely I agree with Skid about certainly the first Captain America, the the the, the studio that was a huge thing, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was huge, and it was talked about a lot at the time, and it was can this movie succeed being called the Captain America? There's a reason they called it the first Avenger, um, you know, it was Captain America the first Avenger, but story wise, the the creative forces behind it, you know, I don't know if it's led by the studio or the screenwriters or whatever, just all of them putting their heads together. They are incredibly good at just sidestepping some of these things. Um, and, and the, the single best example of it is in that first Captain America film where he's trying out for the army and they say, so you want to kill Nazis? You want to kill Germans? He's like, no, I don't want to kill anybody. <laughs> I just don't like bullies. Well, you just like diffuse yeah. the entire like political spectrum. Like, oh no, he's not he's yeah. not fighting you. <laughs> he's not fighting them. He's not fighting that specific group. He's just fighting bullies in 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 general. Um yeah. So it was, it was great. And then for me in terms of switching the antagonist for Winter Soldier um to the to the American, I I think that falls in line like but it almost felt like happy coincidence. But uh, in terms of in terms of it sort of helping with that worldwide audience, but it just seemed that, you know, in the first film, you've set Bucky up. It was a mission against Hydra, against these bullies. So to like to say, like, well, it was a mission against Hydra, but these other guys found him. Eventually, he wound up in the Russians hands. Like, it just seemed like that th there would be too many obstacles to jump through and also kind of what was going on. Uh, I think politically in the air and and in a lot of storytelling, there's a lot of there's a there's been a lot of talk, you know, in the in the post nine eleven U.S. of A. about uh, how much authority is is too much, and so I think playing on those themes worked, like you were saying, James, to to bring up these ideas that I think are central. Because one of the central ideas about Captain America from the comics isn't that he represents the way America actually is but he represents the ideal that it represents um exactly and that's uh <laughs> and that's what uh that's what winter soldier i thought did such a good job of and and that gets highlighted better if the antagonist is also is is representing kind of theoretically anyway like america as it is Right. So if you've got one guy that's like, well, this is the way it should be and this is the way America should be, and you've got Captain America saying, No, it's this way instead, and both sides, like there's a there's an argument, you know, to be made for both sides. Um, I know that I tend to come down on one side more than the other, but um but there are reasonable positions that you could take for either either side. And so I think it just it wound up and this is one place where it changed from what this isn't what the winter soldier storyline in the comics was about, but it is what the movie is about. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's one really significant change from an adaptation process where the adaptation is really faithful is to the characters is to how the characters relate to one another. But the, but the geopolitical story is quite different. And I think that's fine. I think it, I think it, I think it changed it, but it, but, I like the comic a lot. I love that Cold War era leftover stuff. Like I totally dig that. <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, I thought Winter Soldier was 
was also very powerful. Like the movie was also very powerful and politically, you know, like, and, and, and relevant, you know? So I think, I think that's sort of a one for one, like it was a win in the comics. It's different, but it's still a win in the, in the, in the, in the movie. I agree. I missed, I did miss some of the cold war stuff just cause I'm, I'm into that. Like that's, that was kind of cool and it was different. It would have been different for the Marvel universe cause it just hasn't ever been tackled, but I did love the, uh, but I love the, the movie came out great. And I love the way that it, I, you know, it, it's the, my favorite of the Marvel movies because it just seems to have the most personal scale. Yeah. Um, and it feels like, a throwback uh, deliberately to those, you know, like post Watergate, don't trust anybody like uh, uh, political thrillers of the early seventies, even going so far as to cast Robert Redford, like as the villain, you know? Yeah. So, Uh, yeah. And, and Redford was, was great casting. It's interesting to know too, that some of the stuff that we missed from the comics in the winter soldier film shows up in the civil war film. So I think we can talk about that some later. True. But, yes. Yeah. Um, true. Yeah. So let's move on to the next question. The Winter Soldier story arc changed the perception of who and what Bucky was for the audience, for the reading audience, and is very effective in doing so. Many of these changes were leveraged even in the first Captain America film to make his return as the Winter Soldier more plausible as a real threat. A major difference, though, in is that in the comics, about 50 actual years had passed uh, since Bucky had died for readers and, and then his return, whereas in the films, it was just a couple of years between the two movies. Um, was that different, something that had to be handled differently in the adaptation process? So one thing I want to say, and that maybe I should have mentioned this earlier is I was one of the editors on the comics for winter soldier. I'm also one of the editors that was on the comics for civil war. So I do have a bit of a perspective and this was definitely something that we talked about a lot. Like the, when the idea came across our desk, like, hey, we want to bring Bucky back and this is how we want to do it, that when Ed and Steve were pitching that, it was, uh, you know, I mean, the the knee-jerk reaction was, well, no, nobody gets to do that. Like, that's a seminal (laughs) event, right? And so we kind of had to take our little, you know, our little guardian uh, armor off a little bit and go, well, let's let's really take a look at it. And, And what we what we saw our jobs as was to poke as many holes in the pitch and in the scripts as humanly possible and make sure that they got filled. Um, and so we were pretty darn relentless. <laughs> um, but, uh, but this was one of the things that, that was a real struggle was like, this just doesn't seem like Bucky. Bucky wasn't this killer. He wasn't like, he was so far from that. He was the plucky sidekick. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, that was, I think that was a, the the biggest piece to why the Winter Soldier comic has those, those, I think they're are just phenomenal, like World War II sequences illustrated by Michael Yeah, Clark. those flashbacks are so great. They're so great in, in there. And, and, and they changed the way that we saw Bucky. Bucky had always been presented as the sidekick, as this face, as the joy in the middle of World War II. Because, you know, it was a joyous time. <laughs> Um, (laughs) you know, and so, and so what, what it showed was like, no, actually what you, what you're familiar with is sort of, you know, that's sort of more the newsreel footage, but really Bucky was the guy throwing the dagger in the dude's back that you didn't 
yeah. you didn't see, you know? And so there is, there's actually a, um, a shot in the first Captain America movie that's straight out of the winter soldier, um, of Bucky during world war, world war two. Now, some of the other changes is they, they, they made him older. They made him more physically imposing sort of thing. Um, you know, for the, for the films, but, uh, but does it change? So the, the core of the question though, is does it really change given that you didn't have this readership and that Bucky had been dead for 50 years? Does that change how they had to approach bringing him back in the winter soldier for you guys? Um, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I had no problem with the way the Bucky was being presented in uh, in the film, in The Winter Soldier, uh, I, I didn't feel like there was, for me at least, from the comic book to the movie, I realized that they had to make some changes and alterations just for the simple reason that we're dealing with a totally different uh, time period and a different Captain America, somebody who's, um, you know, only been um, uh, alive for a, a couple of years in the 2000s. So um, I didn't, you know, I, I never had a problem with the way that The Winter Soldier was being handled in the film. And and I like both. I, I think uh, there's a there's a place for both of those uh, Winter Soldiers and Bucky's. Um, and I now I want to go back and see the Captain America First Avenger and just see that scene to see that you know uh, going back to the the graphic novel. Yeah, Skid, how about you? I I kind of I kind of like the the cinematic interpretation better. Um, there's something that I like about Bucky having been the guy that you know, his bigger, burlier, burly protector of uh, little wheezy um, Steve Rogers before he underwent the transformation. That's a, it's a totally different dynamic. That is, yeah, that is very um, Than being, than him being the Robin to, you know, Captain America's Batman. Um, but, but I like that because I like the way that those tables get turned, you know, later on. Um, there's something really, really fun about that. And as much as I loved what you guys did with the the flashbacks, I really did like you know the making Bucky like into this kind of murderous little gnome. You know, I like that a lot. Like that was really cool. But uh, but I just I I think for for a, I don't know. I just I, I think it worked really well to have him be you know a yeah a, I I think that was a, a more traditional soldier. Yeah, I think that was a really good choice for uh for the for the first film. And, and I think it does work in the second. Also, it's different when you put like a 15-year-old live person in World War II. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. that too. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, it's a different dynamic. Like it's something that sort of works in comics, like if you don't look too closely, but it's hard not to look too closely when it's when it's actual like actors on the screen. Um, yeah, and I just want to, I mean, it's nice of you to kind of in, in include me in the what we did with winter soldier but but i do want to make it very clear that that ed brubaker <laughs> that it was only and, you and you right, that it was just me no but that, but that, that, <laughs> this was a story that was pitched from the creators and developed from the creators and like i said like our job was poking holes in it so i think we certainly had an effect on it but but this was not something that was an editorially driven idea you know this really did come from ed and and Steve and, and Michael. So it's, it's worth noting that. Um, cool. So our, uh, our next question, and I think we, I think we already got part of this answer uh, from something Skid said was many people consider Captain America, the winter soldier, the best film so far in the Marvel cinematic universe. 
do you agree or not? And if you do agree, why is it the best film of the MCU films? If you don't agree, what Marvel film do you consider the best and why? Uh, yeah, I consider it. Oh. oh, sorry. I just, I want to say I disagree just to play devil's advocate against myself. From <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, no. I, <laughs> thanks, kid. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is the best one because it's, it's the inter, the, the relationships between the characters. Um, you know, the fact that the film starts off with a, a scene that's not action oriented. They're just jogging around DC on, on your left, on your left. And the, and they immediately, the first thing they do is establish the relationship between, uh, Sam and Steve. And I, and I thought that was just a great way to do it. And then they bring in the action because I think the majority of these films, I feel like they always kind of start off with, you know, the, an more action oriented beginning. And I thought that was a smart move and that's, you know, and then they continue to do that throughout the entire film. And I thought that's what, for me, at least, that interaction between them and the building of, of the friendship um, was really great. So uh, I think it, it, the overall story was just fantastic, too. So um, that that's one of the reasons why I love the movie. Yeah, I think it had one of the best plots of any of the Marvel movies. I think it, I think it also had one of the best villains. And, and, and it's about yeah. it's about something. Like, it's very easy yes. to make superhero movies that aren't about anything. It's just about people dressing up in tights and punching each other. And those can be fun, and there's nothing wrong with them. But, like, this, like there's stuff to actually chew on here, both from character standpoints to, like, what it means to be the man out of time to all the way to the geopolitical stuff that we already hit on. So whether or not this is my favorite, I mean, it's certainly is or close to it. I mean, you know, it sort of depends on the day. One of the things I like about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that they they uh <clears throat> that they you know they're all superhero movies, but they're all superhero mixed with some other genre. So it so they kind of are they push out against what they can be. So like Guardians of the Galaxy, I love and I can watch that movie over and over, but like comparing that to the Winter Soldier isn't exactly that's like that doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so it's a bit of a cop out answer, but yeah, I, I, it, from a craft standpoint, and then you know, just to hone in more on you know what our show is about, about the adaptation standpoint. I mean, it's it's easily a home run. You know, I mean, the, the, the I can't. I remember coming out of this film the first time and just being, because because I'm like I loved working on the Winter Soldier, and then and I loved mm. reading it, and I was. And I and I was so thrilled that audiences reacted to the comics when they came out the way that they did because it was scary because it was like we could we could be killed for this like <laughs> like like fandom could turn on <laughs> us in a heartbeat and I've seen the fandom do it and I've been to the receiving end of it every once in a while uh, it ain't pretty and it this was this felt really really risky and I think if we had had a like not even a major plot hole but like like a like an like a medium sized pothole in this, I think we would have been just crucified by by fandom, and and uh, and it wasn't there or it hasn't been found yet, maybe. But uh, but I remember coming out of this movie and being like, "Holy smokes!" Like they yeah they did it and they made it their own at the same time. And uh, you know, I I I went back and I saw it again the next day. Like I, I saw it twice on opening weekend, and that is <laughs> the last time I have done that. 
you know, it's interesting going into the movie. I didn't know anything about the Winter Soldier. I hadn't read the. I didn't start going getting back into reading comics until about two thousand and eight, two thousand nine. I was interested in because the very first comic I think I ever got was Captain America and his and his partner was a Falcon. I'm like going, how are they going <laughs> to integrate Sam Wilson into this thing? And is he going to have Red Wing, the bird, and how is he going to be able to talk <laughs> to birds? And what 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 are they going to do with Sam Wilson? And yeah. I, I thought he was handled. One well. of the things that I like is is about about the approach that. And again, I don't know, you know, is it is people at the studio or is it the writers and the directors? But there is there is this sort of like amazing um, instinct on how far you can push something at any one time. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think you just hit on like a, like a, like an interesting example of that. Like, okay, we're going to introduce Sam Wilson. We introduce this Falcon. He's got these wings. He flies. He's got this red wing bird. And in the comics, he can see through red wings eyes. And there's all this other stuff that goes with him mm -hmm. and they go, okay, we're going to make it part of this government project. We're going to link it here. We're going to, it, and we're going to manage to just put in there that there's only one of these things left. So there's only going to be one Falcon, you know, like, like, yeah. and, and you get him, you get him up and you get him flying and you, and you call him the Falcon. You make fun of his name. Cause that's like a thing that happens in every movie. Right. And, <laughs> and apologize for yourself. Right. Turn. And then, but you don't bring Red Wing <laughs> into it. Right. Red Wing shows up though in civil war. It's different from the comics yeah. and mm -hmm. it works and it works in the confines. So I, I do think that 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 that's really interesting as part of the adaptation process because your audience is different. Like, you know, we, I think we've mentioned before that that changes need to be made because of the strengths and weaknesses of one medium to the next, right? So that that's a big part of it. And there there are confines like you've got two hours instead of fourteen issues in the case of Winter Soldier, but but also your audiences are different and they have different expectations. And so that's part of the adaptation process as well that I find very fascinating. Now, before we go on to our bonus question, I do want to point out an Easter egg that I saw for the first time uh, upon this last viewing of Winter Soldier, which I had not realized. So Captain America, the Winter Soldier was Captain America Volume 5, for those of you counting, uh, issues 1 through 14. So it, it encompassed two story arcs, and each story arc had a title. One of them was the Winter Soldier, which obviously shows up in the film. But the, but the first story arc was actually out of time. Uh, and I realized only on this viewing that they managed to get that story arc title in there when uh, when uh, Arnim Zola, oh when they blow up when Arnim Zola says we are both of us mm -hmm. out of time. So uh, yeah, a nice little Easter egg in there. I, uh, awesome, which I appreciate it. Um, cool. All right, so our bonus question for the Winter Soldier is, and now we're switching over to to some of the Thanos stuff. Um, who uh, does not show up? And neither do do any Infinity Stones, uh, so we're just throwing us in here. Heads bonus because it has nothing to do with this movie or the comic. Uh, but we did we did we did our research. So we read the Winter Soldier arc, which I just mentioned. But we also read uh, Thanos Quest from the 1980s, uh, one and two, in which Thanos goes around and starts collecting Infinity Stones, which were then called uh, Soul Gems. And and in and it's it, I really found it entertaining yeah. in Thanos Quest, like how often like Thanos kept saying like, well, actually, I'm calling them Infinity Gems now, right? We're rebranding, <laughs> yeah, we're rebranding these things. Uh, and then and then and then that made me laugh too because the Marvel Cinematic Universe has done has has worked so hard to make sure that they're now Infinity Stones, not gems. Uh, <laughs> you know, so that's interesting stuff. But 
Uh, we also read Infinity Gauntlet, which I think we'll be talking probably more about when we actually review Avengers Infinity War. Um, and we read Thanos Rising 1 through 5, the origin of Thanos. Um, but so here's our, here's our bonus question for Winter Soldier, sort of the more macro MCU question is, while this film doesn't directly deal with the Infinity Stone search, that is a constant background thread throughout the MCU compared to Thanos Quest 1 and 2, in which the Mad Titan obtains all six stones. Uh, how did the movie studio have to change that quest, and was it effective? Uh, well, it's so the Thanos quest. First of all, thank you for assigning all this reading because I had never read any of this, and it was awesome. Um, but the uh, yeah, I think the actual like in the book, like it involves him going around, <laughs> like. I, I don't think like a, a a movie or a scene about him getting a a, a stone from the gardener uh, would have resonated a lot <laughs> like with audiences. I don't know. Um, uh, like I, you were going to be disappointed it. in Infinity War because that's the whole movie. <laughs> See him talking to the gardener. But it's, but it's funny because in the movies, it's he's he's relying pretty much just on surrogates to get the stones for him. Whereas in that comic, like he is personally going around getting them all himself. Yeah, that's true. And, and now with some of the, we should, we should talk about this because the Thanos quest one and two, they were, they were oversized. So it's about the length of four regular issues, I think uh, written by Jim Starlin and illustrated by Ron Lim. Um, but what we didn't assign is that, is that Jim Starlin and Ron Lim had been the creative team on at, at the time in the 1980s, the ongoing, you know, one issue every month, Silver Surfer series for like two mm. years or something. So, so a lot of this had actually been going on in the, in the background. And then the Thanos quest itself was like the, and now we're in the thick of it with the infinity gauntlet storyline, which is the, which is seemingly the basis for infinity war. So, um, so, I'll, so what Silver Surfer dealt with and, and, you know, like I said, I wasn't going to try and assign like 30 issues of Silver Surfer uh, for all of us to read, but, <laughs> just an overview is the other thing that comes up is is Thanos's sort of obsession or love or you know a, a courtship with with death with like mm. death as an entity so that like that's a thing and death sets out and is like sure I'll love you if you wipe out half of the population <laughs> of the universe <laughs> to set this balance out which I love that like like they took like this one statistic that there are more people alive today on earth than have ever lived ever in the history of the planet. And they're like, well, death must be pissed about that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, it's, it's a really clever use of like, you know, what was, you know, kind of this thing that, you know, and people would talk about that occasionally, you know? Um, so there's kind of two things going on, right. With, with Thanos in the, in the comics is yes, he's collecting the infinity stones, but the reason he's collecting the Infinity Stones, like they're just a means to an end, which is he wants death as a physical being, uh, as as opposed to a concept, uh, to fall in love with him, which is just really weird. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> weird. <laughs> I I had problems with with the with the whole death thing in, in those comic books. It was just, I and and Thanos continued to seem to talk and circles i felt like it was just like him i was like oh my god over and over again talking it seemed like he was talking about the same thing over and over again it was just driving me nuts but thanos rising i thought was a a, a better tackle of 
of the relationship between Thanos and death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a more organic, and, uh, yeah, it's a more organic take on it. Yeah. That was, yeah. that was definitely a more grounded approach to the whole thing. Cause I've, I've always had a hard try. I've never really been in, I hadn't really ever been into the cosmic stuff in Marvel for whatever reason, even when I was a kid. And I thought pretty, you were going to so... say you'd never been in a relationship with anyone, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we can get into that in a bonus episode or something. But, uh, but I've never really been into the, the cosmic stuff for whatever reason, pretty much until uh, Annihilation came out because you were so into it. And I was just like, oh, I'll give it a shot. And it was, it was, it was great. And then I started to understand it, but I've always had trouble wrapping my head around some of these big, cosmic concept characters the the that marvel has had right. um like infinity and and, and death eternity and order and, and chaos the, yeah in, in between yeah. living tribunal yeah the in between yeah. yeah right so that's something that i was like you know when i heard that they're making thanos the kind of the central villain of of the whole universe i was like how are they are they going to incorporate these wacky concepts into this or if they're not how are they going to adapt it what are they going to change um right and they've they've incorporated very few of that far out stuff and and what's what's interesting is looking at sort of the history of of marvel cosmic when it first came into its popularity like in the in the 70s that was also jim starlin uh, and he was writing and drawing and it was adam warlock and it was all this sort of stuff yeah, big but time it, but it was uh it was heavily influenced by some cultural things going on and at the at the time uh uh that may or may not be illegal um <laughs> <soon. Right>. uh, <laughs> so, uh seemingly seemingly i, I only have that on alleged alleged Alleg uh, so, so there's just a lot of these like you know like like far out there kind of ideas and conceptual stuff which is, which is really interesting and really cool and like i grew up reading that stuff um and then starlin largely Starlin himself was able to kind of rebrand it in the eighties um, a little bit and, and kind of bring it back in. And now it's this, like, it's this quest it's for these physical things. It's, it's easier to just sort of go, okay, there's a linear story here. There's still some of that wackiness out there. This whole, you know, concept of death as a person. And like, and that's still really strange to me. Um, not strange. And I don't like it. Like it, like it's neat. Um, and then and then, it, you know, after Infinity Gauntlet, it sort of peaked and then it took some time and it sort of declined for a while. And and then Annihilation was sort of a was was sort of this this reset on it where, you know, and, and again, full disclosure, I was the editor on that. Um, but one of the things that I that 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 I had talked with the teams about was let's let's put those guys on the back burner. Like, let's not bring the living tribunal into it. Let's not bring the stranger into it or the in-betweener. Mm -hmm. Like, let's, like, what we really focused on was essentially we use World War II as a model for a space war story. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it, it quote unquote grounded it. I feel weird saying that because it's got scrolls <laughs> and stuff in it. Uh, <laughs> but, but it was just, it was a shift in tone. It was a shift in focus. Um, and so it's interesting because I feel like what the Marvel Cinematic Universe does, the very first time that you see Thanos, there is a mention of courting death. Now, it's yeah. subtle, but like his little minion dude, you know, says to go to war with the humans is to court death. And then Thanos mm -hmm. smiles. Right. And, right. and so it's not actually saying death is a physical entity. It's not getting into any of that. But again, 
it's that thing where where they instinctively or maybe it's very thought out and precise i don't know they know how far to push it so for those of us that dig that stuff we're smiling with thanos and we're like oh yeah right but if i don't know yeah. any of that mm -hmm. stuff or 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 that's gonna be hard for me to swallow it's just a cool line of dialogue and that guy looks mean um, <laughs> right and then and then you know when you first really see thanos is in the guardians movie when he's talking to ronan and yeah and uh and there's no it's the first time you hear his voice right i th think it is i think it is yeah yeah, yeah. um and it, you know and it's interesting and, and it's just this quest to collect power but it looks like from what i can tell from from you know the trailers and whatnot you know it looks like we're gonna we're gonna get more into what thanos is really about because right now he's he's sort of the cipher he's like he's he's the cosmic boogeyman right but we mm -hmm. haven't really seen him do anything yet so i do think it's a i do think it has been effective it's a neat way to link those link the mcu sort of stitch it together where where you know a movie set out in space like guardians of the galaxy actually has a, a fairly direct link to like the first captain america movie where the where the 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 tesseract is one of the infinity stones um i think that's i think that's i think it's been effective like people like drawing those connections you know the same way we like the easter eggs like oh the story arcs are in there or james sent me that article the other day about the uh crossbones's uh puncher thing at the beginning of civil war where he loses one of them yeah and shows up in spider-man homecoming like that that's cool like i didn't i yeah. didn't notice that but that's neat and i like it um <laughs> yeah the marvel studios in creating this marvel cinematic universe they're really amazing at setting up something going into the next movie and matter of fact there was an article i was reading recently where you know when they go to the the directors they go what's the next movie what, what's going to happen next and so they start preparing and, and taking off from, from other films to build on this overarching arc. And uh, the only thing, the equivalent I could think of about what they're doing, and it's pretty amazing. It I mean, to, to be able to do this amount of movies and have Captain America go from being a piece of propaganda to being his own man over, uh, have that arc over a few movies is, is pretty spectacular. And the only thing that I found equivalent is like the way that cheers you know did that with sam and diane where they it wasn't just like episode 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 it was like they were going to have this relationship build over over seasons and i think yeah um, yeah I, I mean i think it's, uh, it's i it's think pretty it's amazing. pretty clear that the heads of the studio were like how do we do cheers yeah let's let's use yeah. cheers as a model starting yeah. off do who's norm who's norm uh who's cliff we gotta figure that out no. yeah it, uh, but uh, knowing the fact that that cheers was like the first tv show to ever do that and and uh, and Marvel is the first studio to ever do anything that this this large and this big, where they're going to be taking stories over uh, and carry them over into an. Yeah, next it's movie. interesting because you know I remember several years back when when this all launched and there there was all this hype around how like there had never been a shared universe in film before, and I just remember being like, no, that's not true. They did it in the '30s, like like the Universal monsters did this in the 1930s, but it was it was different. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't planned out like like, and I love those those I love those movies. They're so <laughs> weird. Uh, but like, <laughs> but they carry over like from one 
from one to the next and they have characters that cross over and you pick up you know after after frankenstein meets the wolfman then you pick the wolfman up in the next one and and whatnot so there was this shared universe but it wasn't it wasn't built with an eye towards it um the way this was but it's interesting too because um you know this kind of thing has been tried before it just hasn't been real successful before um and and one of the things and i didn't expect to get into this but one of the things the, the single defining thing I think that made this all work as a whole is that prior to the first Iron Man film, every, and we'll, we'll keep this to superhero comic book adaptations, had been a case where a studio had licensed the the rights to the character or whatever uh, and and then gone to writers and directors and said, make a cool movie and then the creative forces behind the movie say we know how to make good movies so we're going to throw out all this stuff in the comics even the ones that look fairly similar to the comics they throw out a lot like uh you know the original superman film by by richard donner really is a great movie but it's not based on a, you know a particular story arc and that kind of thing so um so they took this approach of throw out the comic, take the character, and make a movie. And what Marvel Studios did was basically flip that dynamic and say, well, what we do is we make great serialized fiction. We build this interactive world where the characters interact with her. We do cliffhangers every 30 days. we got a cliffhanger. Be back here in 30 to find out how Spider-Man gets out of this mess. And they took all of their strengths, which is all the stuff that the the studios would would pitch to the curb and they brought that and they brought those those sort of sensibilities and powers to bear on on cinema as opposed to throwing them out which i think is is brave bold whatever you know but uh but it worked because that's what like that's what marvel fans want and that got them Man, when Nick Fury showed up at the end of Iron Man, <laughs> was like, are you great. kidding me? Like that was, <laughs> was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, and it's interesting and it cool because, it's, go ahead. Sorry, just the you're right. I mean, it's the way that they unified those two different modes of storytelling um, that people just hadn't. That there wasn't the the technological capability in a lot of ways just to tell these comic book stories, like. They were really disparate for a long time, but they, they the Marvel Universe approach it drew them both together, like you're saying, in a really cool way. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because, and I think we, we've talked before about doing a whole episode on this, so I'll just mention it briefly. But it's interesting, too, because a lot of people look at Marvel Studios and go, well, they just, you know, they, you know, like, they took a shortcut by just making hits. But that's not, that's not true. They had some stumbles early on. Mm -hmm. You know, those first five that, that, that culminated in Avengers, um, the box office was there, but but both the second and third films, Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 2, were troubled. We'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and certainly flawed. Um, and, and there were some there was some stumbling there. And, and you can see it in the box office for both Thor and, and Captain America, one for the first of those, which came which came next. Um, you know, those box offices there was a there was a eh, i don't know about this sort of thing going on and then they and, and they've been pretty steadily building since then and the other thing talking about easter eggs and how this all ties together that that and this does relate to winter soldier is i love 
the mention of Doctor Strange when they're talking about the algorithm. I love it too. And how they mm-hmm. and how they target people before their threats. And yeah. And then they do Doctor Strange's origin six years later. Now clearly this is yeah. not this like this is the type of thing that like when you're making you're making the sausage, you're making the comics month in, month out, this is the type of thing that tends to become a mistake. And so I believe I believe that this was just sort of serendipitous, you know, that it worked out this way. But to then later do Doctor Strange's origin and have him become a threat to to Hydra. Yeah. Uh, just shows that the algorithm worked. Because yeah. <laughs> it predicted becoming a threat. Like like that is that to me is just so cool, right? That yeah. it worked out that it worked out that way. Because he's you know, and he doesn't say, you know, Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme. He says Stephen Strange. Stephen Strange. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean it's I I I get such a kick out of that. Um, I was great. I got, I was, I remember seeing it the first time it was, I, I think I might've teared up a little bit. It's just so happy. It's like, there's a Dr. Strange in this world. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Well, I think that wraps up our winter soldier conversation and discussing the adaptation process. I, what I, what I like about the infinity war episodes here is that we get to talk about sort of the, th- the, the cinematic universe as a whole. Uh, so we're going to conclude our Winter Soldier episode here, and uh, and then our next episode is going to be talking about Captain America: Civil War, which I think is a more sort of direct into Avengers: Infinity War, and we'll 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 get into that because there's a lot more character stuff that we're going to talk about in that episode. So uh, we hope you've enjoyed this one. Uh, what have we got coming up? Uh, I can tell you that I am on the road. I'm going to be at the Philadelphia uh, Great Philadelphia Comic Convention uh, this week. Actually, when Avengers: Infinity War opens, I will be at uh, at that show, I'll be in Houston in May at Comic Palooza. Um, uh, we've got a ton of classes for comics that are starting, but we also have uh, some upcoming really cool screenwriting um, and animation classes, including our master seminar, which is on May 12th. So if you go to the website, you can go to comicsexperience.com or screenexperience.com. We've got Georgia Lee, who's doing a uh, who's a writer on The Expanse. It's a great show. Oh. Um, she nice. is doing a one one day cool. seminar. It's online, so anybody can take it as long as you got the internet access. Um, <clears throat> May twelfth, so go online, check out that. Uh, you can just go click into courses, and you can find it. Uh, and uh, that's a decent segue over to you, uh, James. What do you got coming up? Um, I'm teaching screenwriting on this w- website. That's the screenexperience.com. Is that that's it? the one? That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing how I, you didn't I, forget I, it. I, <laughs> I, 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 it's weird. I, I, I I'm so Look at your thankful that you be on there somewhere. <laughs> it's, it starts uh, June 21st, and I'm really looking forward to teaching. And uh, please go to screenexperience.com and uh, sign up for the uh, screenwriting. Awesome. Class. And Skid, you, we've already plugged, uh, already plugged it. But plug it again. <laughs> Androids and Aliens starting uh, next week, uh, I believe April 25th. Uh, it's going to be a weekly show. Uh, our new uh, tabletop RPG live play uh, playing in the Starfinder universe. Super excited about that. And uh, our next thing, big thing, is next month, uh, Memorial Day weekend, we will be the media guests of honor at PaizoCon in Seattle. Very oh, very about cool. that That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, and... and... I know that in our intro we say that this is the nerdiest podcast ever, but actually it's it's the Glass Cannon podcast. No, and, yeah. and you can't yeah. take that mantle no, from, from no. us. We we just 
we lie because that's what we have to do to get people to, to like our stuff. Um, it's like, you tried, baby. You tried. Please, if you're listening. Uh, you guys are Team Iron Man, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Please, if you're listening, uh, subscribe to the podcast and uh, give us a give us a good star rating. We're we're trying to get uh, we're trying to get picked up and get more more listeners. So that really really does help. It's it's a way that you can uh, that you can let us know that that you you know like the show and you want more of them. Uh, all right, that's it. That's it for today. And uh, thanks, guys. And we'll talk uh, we'll talk soon about Captain America: Civil War. You've been listening to Pages to Pictures, brought to you by ScreenExperience.com and ComicsExperience.com. Please leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks.